Now, we didn't get to play Texas A&M, unfortunately, due to COVID. But, man, that team is good. Big O-line, big running back, you know, <laughs> right. powerful. Uh, if I was in a committee, I would have picked, picked Texas A&M into the basketball playoffs just because their one loss was to the number one team in the country. Notre Dame's right. one loss was to the number two team in the country whose schedule is not as strong as Alabama. Opulent Inventory, our proud partners here on the show. Now you can finally have the Apple product times the Apple guys. That's right, from AirPods to iPhones to MacBooks to Apple Watches to trade-ins and much more. Now you can have the Apple product of your dreams. Promo code podcast gets you 20% off. That's right, 20% off on any Apple item. Visit Opulent Inventory, Nash and Guardi, those are great guys on all social media platforms, and on Instagram. Now, let's head back to the show. We're in the final two minutes of the fourth quarter of, this, of the year, and uh, you know it's, it's it's a season of giving. You know it's happy holiday season to everybody. Whether you celebrate Christmas, Kwanzaa, anything coming up, uh, happy holidays to you. And uh, it's just this is a great time, man. I'm very, so I'm very excited for our special guest today. I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna leave it at that. It's a, we got a very special guest on today. Yes, we do indeed as well. We won't disclose that, but uh, if you made it through 2020, you're the real MVP, Mike. It's it's a it's a year full of um exhaustion uh people lost lives um people grieved a lot um and and i tell a lot of my peers as well here if you made it through 2020 you're the real mvp because this year was set up for us to to fail in all facets of our lives all facets of our lives um but you know what mike i, I woke up today interested interesting i had, I had a weird dream mike um, and i actually want to share this with america here this is actually pretty funny so most people know Mike, I am a soccer fanatic. I love, I love soccer. You know, as an island guy, um, that's what you were raised from. You know, from your uncles to your father to your grandparents, watching soccer and learning the history about it from, you know, club from the club level to the national team level, uh, to world football, like they like to call it. And uh, for some reason, um, apparently Leo Messi was in was in my. Uh, my uh my epiphany last night and you people who don't know it's leo and it's cristiano ronaldo the last <laughs> decade that's been like the best two players in soccer and um it, it was crazy mike so i'm watching leo but he he's lined up in the x like in a slot i'm like okay leo i know you've got elite footwork and arguably one of the greatest ever but you ain't got no footwear to play football. I know you guys got the real football, but you ain't got no footwear to be playing football, like NFL football. 
let alone can you even run around with pads? <laughs> so I'm like, Leo, I'm like, why are you here? And um, it, it was just crazy. And it had me thinking, Mike, um, what what are some of the athletes that are in different sports that we would like to see in, in an NFL uniform or in, in the hardwood playing the NBA? It just had me thinking, you know, asking myself, can Michael Phelps really play basketball or mm. could um, Tiger really like throw the clubs away and actually step in and, and play tennis or could Rafa Nadal just come in and, and uh, you know, pick up a basketball and start shooting? You know, it just had me thinking about that. I thought, I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole <laughs> bunch of players in our town that we've seen that have dominated two sports or that we see be elite in one sport and we see they could be um, pretty competent and very competitive in another, in another sport. You see Allen Iverson potentially playing football. You know how great he was in high school. He still holds the VA records. You know, it was uh, talks about, you know, LeBron probably potentially playing in the NFL. You right. got um, you got it's, it's so it's so many guys, you know, uh, and also, also you got it's a lot of football players. You'd be surprised at how many uh, football players have even the big fellas. You'd be surprised how many football players can actually get on that court and play some basketball. I mean, they, they, these guys are athletes at the highest level, and uh, and 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 they they can make it happen. So that was an interesting dream, man. But Messi, Messi going across that middle, I think uh, one one good hit will bring him right back on that soccer. Yeah, field. yeah, yeah. He'll bring him right back in that soccer field, man. I don't know if Messi <laughs> get you for all that. Uh, nevertheless, speaking of football, not, you know, the world football, but in America here, we call the NFL week 15, Mike re recap. There's only two games left in the season, a regular season. This is no December, December to remember who are those teams who's getting hot at the right time, Mike, or who are those teams that's rounding into form. And also if you're a team that is potentially getting ready for a, a buy or one of those top two seeds. Are they healthy going into the postseason? This is that time of the year. Um, Mike, let's start off with what we saw on Saturday. The Buffalo Bills now 11-3. and three. They pretty much clinched the AFC East to me, to my estimation. Um, they haven't wrapped it up officially, but with two games left and three games up, um, they should take care of business Monday night in New England for that. Uh, Josh Allen has been spectacular, Mike. I, I think he's entered in that category with Mahomes and Rodgers in the MVP race. Not sure if he can catapult over them. Uh, but what we saw in Denver, in a pretty mediocre Denver uh, Browns, uh, excuse me, Denver Broncos unit, um, they put on a show. Stephon Diggs has been instrumental in the growth of Josh Allen's career and also yeah. cool Beasley in the slot. Um, the Buffalo Bills, uh, what concerns me, Mike, is the run game, but they can flat out throw the football and they can play outstanding defense. Very, very much so. And you think about the improvements that uh, Allen has made from last year to this year. You know, we all know how he went out, you know, with, in the, with the playoff game and, you know, how, how everything transpired uh, years back. But um, ever since then, you just watch his improvements. And you just see how he's gotten better year after year. And uh, just the, how calm and poised he's looked in the pocket all season long. I mean, he has his team looking very formidable. Uh, defensively, they always had the players. But offensively, seeing him take that next step with the weapons that he has around him, utilizing them and putting them in, in the best position, capitalizing off the play action. It's just He just looks very confident. Like you said, he should be in the MVP conversation. But what Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers are doing right now is just so far gone past everybody else that it's just hard, it's hard to usurp those guys. But... You're absolutely right. He's in the conversation. He's in the know uh, about what's going on. So, Josh Allen, what this team really goes as far as as he takes them. You know, if he continues to play like this. 
Buffalo, Buffalo is uh is an out for anybody in the in the AFC. No doubt, no doubt there for sure. Speaking of Aaron Rodgers, he played that same Saturday uh, against the Panthers. I don't think any duo this year, Mike, has been more special than Rodgers to Devontae Adams. I think both will get all pro honors, especially Devontae Adams. This man has nine touchdown receptions, Mike. I repeat, nine touchdown receptions in nine straight games. I mean, it has been unbelievable what he's done. His league leading uh, receiving touchdowns at 16 only ties uh, Casey's Tyreek Hill for what he's doing right now. And it, it's just special um, what those two guys can do. Um, Green Bay, they, they position themselves, Mike, for the top seed in the NFC. And this year's there's only one, one, one team that earns that first round by. So uh, the road to the NFC, Mike, seems like it's going to have to go through Lambeau. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. It seems it's going to have to go through Lambeau. Um, assuming that there's no big drop off in New Orleans, New Orleans gets had at the right time. But I, I see this going through Lambo. I mean, and rightfully so. When you look at what Matt Lafleur has done as the head coach of this team, and and how you know the last last couple of years, last year they were 13 and three, and um, this year they're 11 and three, looking like they're going going down that same route. Uh, you just have to have to tip your hats off to this Green Bay team and what they're consistently able to do in the regular season, putting themselves in the best possible position for the playoffs. Uh, for for the players last year they weren't able to secure the entire uh home field advantage for the NFC but this year with that consistency with with some breaks along the way with some other teams losing they they have a great opportunity right now and with Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs along with this defense that they have and the competent running game of Aaron Jones man this 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 team is going to be scary in the NFC and having home field advantage even without fans is it gives them that much gives them uh that much more hope Again, agreed, Mike. And one thing when people tend to think that is very underrated is, yeah, they may not have fans at Lambeau, but it's December and it's early January. You're still going to have to go to the cold, right? If you're a dome team like Arizona or New Orleans, you don't want to have to go to Green Bay and play in the cold and uh, inclement weather like that where you're, you're, you know, you're pretty much confined into indoor confines. And so I think that's also an in, indicative of, uh, uh, underrated element that not a lot of people talk about. Yes, there's no fans or anything like that, but Rodgers in that offense, and then you talk about the upstart defense with your man, Jair Alexander. You don't want to go to Lambeau in that type of weather, too. That's something to take note of. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and, and even in general, if you're not a dome team, traveling traveling, traveling to Green Bay in the playoffs has never been uh, on top of your list as far as what you what you want to do in the playoffs. But um. This 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 situation that Green Bay is putting themselves in is a it, it bodes trouble for the rest of the NFC because we know how Aaron Rodgers when Aaron Rodgers knows he only had needs to win two games to get to the Super Bowl that's scary for the rest of the league because we know how how um how he he capitalizes in those moments he wants to capitalize on every single time he gets to the playoffs. The the Packers struggled last year in the title game in the NFC. Let's see if they have bounced back and learned from that massacre that happened in San Francisco last year. The Chiefs, Mike, uh, they're positioning themselves for the roads to the AFC to go through Arrowhead uh, as well. Part of the loudest stadiums in the NFL now. They may not have fans, but you still don't have <laughs> Patrick Mahomes in that offense at home. is just unbelievable, Mike. I don't think people know how historic this Chiefs team is. They, they're positioning themselves, Mike, as probably one of the best regular season teams of all time. This team hasn't had, uh, has put up 30 points 
14 of their 15 games this season. My God, so it's just outrageous to even think of. Um, and, and even then the loss to uh, the Raiders early in the season, they even put up 30. So it's just unbelievable what this Chiefs team continues to do. Mahomes, and then he's got those two guys in Kelsey and Tyree Kill. It's just, it's a lot for opposing defenses to game plan for, Mike. It, it really is. And what Mahomes is doing right now off script, the thing I see is, Mike, you can have the, the a very good defense to call for the play, but what Mahomes does off script is just, you can't teach those intangibles. You just, you, you can't. I thought New Orleans was one of those teams, when you look at personnel-wise, they have the guys in the back end that can match up with Tyreek Hill, match up with Kelsey. You could you could put Malcolm Jenkins one-on-one on an island with Travis uh, with Travis Kelsey. You can double with Jack Rabbit and also Marshawn Lattimore with Tyreek Hill. But what Mahomes did in, in, in the Superdome, Mike, it was just those throws that was not off script when he gets out the pocket when he's so dangerous only he can make those throws and it's going to be awfully tough if he continues to do that for anybody in the AFC and it's usually and it's usually on third downs when he when he, when he makes those big crazy plays and third down and longs as well it's like they do that demoralizes you as a defense because you continuously can't can't get those stops on third down they continuously move the ball down the field on a crucial play and he he just shows his greatness on that field. I, I want to give some credit to the Kansas City Chiefs in this regard. Coming off a Super Bowl championship, every team, the following season, every you get every team's best shot, no matter if it's the best team in the league to the worst team in the league. And it's it's we sometimes we could take their greatness for granted because they continuously win week in and week out. But that's an impressive feat to me, and just in my opinion, about how how consistently they've looked focused, how they've continued to find ways to win even these tough battles against these tough teams on the road. No matter what adverse strikes them, they continue to uh, use, utilize their weapons and it just show how, how much of a juggernaut they can be and having that dedication and that locked-in energy every week is, is vital. But I, I'm, I'm going to bring something up, uh, Sammy, that's kind of interesting I, I thought about. When you think about Patrick Mahomes and his offense and his Kansas City Chiefs, going, going into a, uh, coming off a Super Bowl champion, only having one loss on your one loss on your record and potentially going fifteen to one. What does that remind you of a little bit, Sebi? It reminds me of a little bit of the uh, the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, when they won in twenty ten, yeah, twenty eleven, they went fifteen and one in Lambeau. Yeah, they got bounced out by your New York Football Giants exactly. on their road to the Super Bowl. Exactly, yeah. and it's looking very similar to that situation. I'm not saying that they're going to get bounced out in the, in the playoffs in the first in their first matchup. But you never know because that's that's exactly what this situation is looking like. And, we, and back then during that time, we were talking about Aaron Rodgers being one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time and how he can run a run, run, run roughshaw from the league for years and years to come. And we're doing this, a similar uh, thing right now with Patrick Mahomes. And um, it's just – it's funny how history repeats itself because both of those guys are in the MVP conversation. And uh, you just have the, these quarterbacks balling out. And who knows, man, the way things are playing out, this could be a potential uh, Super Bowl matchup. That that's actually a great take, Mike, because that's exactly what happened. Green Bay won the title in 2010. Yep. They beat the Steelers. Next year, they they just took the lead and ran with it and got 15 and one. And then they met up a hot uh, a Giants team with Hakeem Hicks, with Victor Cruz and, yep. and Eli Manning and those guys. And at that time, the, the the Giants were just rounding into form as they do in that playoff in that wild card <laughs> yeah. spot. And then they're ever so dangerous at a wild card spot. 
Um, that that is a great take. We'll see if that's the case because in the AFC there are some hot teams that it's rounding into form. And if yeah. it were to Baltimore to go back to Arrowhead, I could see a similar thing because this Ravens team, Mike, is rounding into form and the defense is catching up too. Sure is. It sure is. The Ravens. You could you could throw the Ravens in there, and I actually like the Ravens on the road than I do better than I do at home, especially this year. Lamar Jackson tends to uh, um, take care of the football a lot better on the road. Uh, than he does at home, and also you. When you look at Baltimore, you could look at possibly Indianapolis if they yep. if they have to come to Kansas City with that defense and what they can do. Yep, Indianapolis uh, beat uh, the Chiefs last year at home. Yep, yep. sure did. So they, they, there's no fear factor going in going into Kansas City in a playoff game in that matchup. So um, it's it's going to be interesting, man. I'm intrigued to see. Uh, I'm intrigued to see what what team could potentially give them the best go. But uh, that it's just something I thought about that 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 correlated with each other. And Indianapolis is a very interesting one because we had the guru here a few weeks ago and he's talked about uh, the Colts. They will make some noise in in the AFC and, and he stamped that. Mm-hmm. And when you think about, you know, Phillip Rivers, the familiarity going into Kansas City, all those years with the Chargers, he knows what to expect. And you talk about the familiarity with their run game with Hines. Um, obviously, Marlon Mack is in there, but they've got this young rookie that I love so much um, out of Wisconsin. He's been running the football very well. And then the defense, the force Buckner outside of Aaron Donald, maybe the best interior defensive lineman in the NFL. Um, and you've got some other guys in the back end, too. So Indianapolis, to me, they, 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 they're a very interesting team, very interesting team. And, and you make a good point that they can go in the airhead and win a, a football game. They definitely could. They, they they're one of those teams. They go as far as Philip Rivers will take them. Philip Rivers comes out and he plays like the old Philip Rivers we're used to seeing, and he has uh, uh, uh gets on a hot streak in the playoffs with the talent around this team. They can definitely make some noise, and they can they can get to a Super Bowl. That's how good this team is. Let's talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mike. Um, uh, no team has probably kind of like fell flat in the face of the earth than than the Steelers starting eleven and zero. And then what, what's interesting, Mike, is, you know, the running game. You talked about that a few weeks ago. Well, they were running the football very well um, early on in the year with James Conner and some of their other guys. But the, the run game is gone non-existent. Their quick passing game with screens and things of that nature, that's kind of substituted for the lack of uh, running on the ground. And, and and they're decimated on that defense. Bud Degree's out. Um, you've got Devin Bush, who's in and out of the lineup. I think the back end, as great as they were, because of that pass rush, right? And, and you got Minka Fitzpatrick, who's an all-pro. Now the, the front isn't getting that pressure that they were outside of T.J. Watt, who leads the league in sacks. And so now the Steelers, they've got problems. Um, I, I thought that they played two teams in the Bills, and the Redskins that gave them problems because they 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 were teams that are playoff caliber teams that can get after the quarterback and kind of neutralize Ben. But in Cincinnati, it, that was alarming to me, and I think this may be the demise of the Steelers heading into the playoffs, Mike. Yeah, this Steelers team it's it's a combination of things. I don't want to put the blame in one spot, but there is a combination of of errors that are going on in this organization that are just coming at the wrong time, and which is why they're on a three-game losing streak. You have a situation where, like you said, the injuries, especially on the defensive side of the ball, the, these, these are guys, they, they continuously lose players. They lost Devin Bush early in the season. They lost Bud Dupree uh, with the ACL. He's going to be done. And then you had, Joe, you had Joe Hayden in and out of the lineup with a concussion, I believe. You, had, you just have guys all over. These are key players 
all over your defense that are not there anymore, especially from the linebacker position, the secondary, things of that nature. You have the, the defense going through some issues, but the defense is still holding it down to some degree and, and keeping you in ball games. It's, it's, uh, aside from the Cincinnati game. But when you talk about uh, offensively, like you said, they're so predictable. Early on, they were able to run the ball with some uh, with some type of uh, fluidity and some type of rhythm, where even even in games where they had big leads, they had they were able to run the football and control the game and be able to run run the clock out and seal the game like that. Now all of a sudden, later on, defenses are, I've caught that on film, and teams are start even the teams that are aren't the best teams in the league and are some of the low subpar teams are starting to catch on to some of your deficiencies. And even though this Bengals team was two ten and one, this is still a rivalry game. This is a game where this is a game a, a team full of NFL men that have pride and understand that the Pittsburgh Steelers are coming to town, and you knew they were going to be hyped up and fired up for this game, and that's what you saw. You saw them jump out early, make some plays on defense, get some turnovers, get some short field positions, and they capitalized with Giovanni Bernard's touchdowns. But this 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 offense for the Pittsburgh Steelers, this quick passing game, they're trying to switch up Big Ben Roethlisberger's uh, motion because. He's getting older, and he doesn't need to be holding the ball in the pocket that long and taking those hits. So what do they do? They get the ball out faster. But when you when you, when you can't run the football and you rely solely on your short, quick game, that bodes well for the defense because the defense doesn't have to worry about playing his back as much. There's no deep threat, and Big Big Ben Roethlisberger's accuracy down the field is gone, Sevy. It's gone. We just yeah, it's, right. not, it's not the same. It's right. not the same anymore. So it's it's a it's a combination of a lot of things. What's going on in Pittsburgh right now, along with the fact that they played a couple hungry teams before the Cincinnati game, and it, it just, it just, the the last two games, the first two games that they lost against Buffalo and against the Redskins, people, excuse me, against the football team, people understood why because the football team were hungry and Buffalo is a very good, a very good team, very good. But football this Cincinnati game is the one that rubbed people the wrong way and really scratched some people's heads and really made, made it look like, oh wow, this Pittsburgh Steelers team. Has some some real issues, and they really need to work on some things because um, Cincinnati has not been that formidable this year. But Pittsburgh Pittsburgh is a team that if they can get that running game back, if they can get more a little bit more healthy on defense, the side of the ball, they'll be fine. But a combination of all the three, and along, along with Big Ben not playing his best football these last three weeks, is why Pittsburgh looks the way they do now. Agreed, agreed, Darren. You can't lose to Ryan Finley. <laughs> Ryan Finley. I mean, we watch college football night. We know who Ryan Finley is. But uh, for the general public, they don't know who Ryan Finley is. Ryan Finley coming into the NFL was a 61% completion percentage guy. You just can't lose to a guy like that. Uh, quickly here, let's talk about the Browns, Mike. I see a trend. I see mm. a trend here. with, I, I, And I'm going to tell you the trend. Case Keenum with Kevin Stefanski, breakout year. They make it to the NFC title game against Philadelphia the year that the Eagles won the title. Kevin Stefanski with Kirk Cousins, breakout year, the year last year where the Vikings had a breakout year and went into New Orleans and won that football game. Now Kevin Stefanski with Baker Mayfield in year three, now you're starting to see that swagger that Baker had in OU and, and the Sooners. And I think that's scary, Mike. I watched that in the Giants game. Stadley was against your Giants, but you saw Baker getting comfortable and getting comfortable and very getting very comfortable throwing darts. And I mean, the guy threw lasers. He only had five incompletions, Mike, 27 to 32, 297 through the air, two TDs, no INTs, no fumble force, no turnovers. When Baker can play like that, and Kevin Stefanski can call games like that. 
I think this Browns team is 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 a team that the AFC should take advantage of. I think Kevin Stefanski deserves a lot of credit, Mike. He deserves uh, immense credit, and is actually one of the Coach of the Year candidates uh, in, in, in most people's ballots. But um, you're absolutely right about Baker Mayfield. It's, it's amazing what a month to make. A month ago, I was on record saying Baker Mayfield is is is, is not that good, and that uh, he 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 wasn't playing up to par. But at, but the last three or four weeks, I mean, man, he's he's really turned his play up to another level, and at the right time of the year too. I mean, you see this guy. He's um, he's getting the ball around to these players. He's putting the he's 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 spreading the ball around with such velocity. He's putting he's he 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 he's very he's been very accurate over the last few weeks. And um, I, I'm just seeing his confidence and his swag oozing out of him. And um, you're right, Kevin Stefanski has a lot to do with it. This Browns team, what, what they're doing for him, the running game is is up to par. You saw you know Nick Chubb and those guys make the Pro Bowl selection, and um, and Miles Garrett and those guys, what they're doing defensively. Is huge, and um, this t- total team is coming together at the right time, and they're making the right plays. They made winning plays against the Giants on Sunday night, and uh, we'll see. We'll see how how motivated they'll be going into the playoffs because right now this Browns team is very good. Oh, they're very good, Mike. And unlike uh, the Chiefs and unlike the Pittsburgh Steelers, this team can run the football. In fact, yes. they've got the best duo of running backs in the NFL in Kareem Hunt and also Nick Chubb. Remember Kareem Hunt with with Mahomes and what how special they were. And so now uh, I think more, more so than even Baltimore a tad bit and, and, and Indianapolis, I think this Browns team is scary because you can't throw on Denzel Ward's side. You, they proved that against the Giants. Obviously, it's, it's the Giants. You can't, that's not a grid evaluation, but you can't throw on a 22, 21 side. And then you have to account for 95 up front in Miles Garrett. I, I think this team, they can create turnovers. They get off the field on third downs. And then the more Baker Mayfield continues to learn under Kevin Stefanski, I think this is a live dark horse going into the postseason. In fact, Mike, if the Pittsburgh Steelers were to lose this week and the Browns were to win this week, that would set up week 17 for the division. And nobody, nobody would have ever thought about that, Mike. No, we definitely would have, especially now with how Pittsburgh was looking with with this undefeated streak. We thought that they were um, going to run the table with it, uh, with this division. But you're absolutely right. Now, would it, wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something as far as momentum going into the playoffs? Now, all of a sudden, Pittsburgh can go from literally three weeks ago having wrapped up the ha- having the number one uh, overall seed in the AFC to literally a few weeks later not even being able to host a playoff game. That that that, that would be that would be crazy to think about. But um. Uh, momentum going in for Cleveland Browns. They're getting on. They're getting on fire. Baker's playing great football, and uh, this is the right time for you to be on. You're right against the Chiefs. They would be interesting because they can score. Then you have to be able. To, and no matter how good your defense is, you have to be able to score against the Chiefs. So that that right there is a bonus for them. Absolutely, there for sure. Uh, another key note with the Browns is well, these aren't the normal Browns. I, I was worried last week on Monday night in prime time. How would the Browns deal with it? Although they lost, but they showed that. You know, they're trending towards the right direction. The lights aren't too bright for them. This is Monday night. Obviously, it's a national televised game. The, the, the national stage and the spotlight is on you. And then followed up with a Sunday night game. Same, same spectrum, you know, Sunday night football in New York. It could be a trap game. This, this, this front for the, the Giants are really good. They can get after the quarterback. Was, would, would this be a, a place for a letdown for the Browns? And they definitely... Uh, take advantage of that. And so I think that's trending towards the right direction. Quickly here, Mike, before we wrap things up, 
the Pro Bowl selections on both sides of the conferences, the AFC and the NFC, um, some new faces, including some rookies. I, I said before Chase Young was drafted, he would get 12 All-Pro selections. Well, he's He's, he's, he's off to a great start, Mike. He's at one, he's at one already, already, along with Justin Jefferson. Um, those are the rookies. But any key guys that stood out to you or maybe any snubs? Uh, yeah, it was a couple of key guys that stood out. Obviously, like I said, Miles Garrett, He was I was I was happy for him that he that he got his Pro Bowl selection. Bradley Chubb. I was happy Bradley Chubb. Even though Denver isn't having the greatest season this year, I was happy that he was able to get the recognition he deserved because he's been balling out. He's had a sensational season. Uh, out there at defensive end for the Broncos. Uh, he stood out to me. I was su- I was surprised that, um, you know, of all the people for the Giants, uh, of all the people that did get selected, I, I, w- I wasn't surprised James Bradbury went in. I- I've been saying all year that he's going to be a pro bowler. But Evan Ingram surprised me a little bit, Sebby. I understand he's been improved heavy. That's interesting. I understand yeah. he'd improved heavy blocking this year, but he ties the the all tight ends in the league for the, for the most drops this season with six. And on top of that, um, his numbers didn't scream Pro Bowl to me. I feel like of all the players that could have gotten Pro Bowl on our team, you had Leonard Williams, who had eight and a half sacks from the interior that could have potentially got it. Or you had Blake Martinez, who had 128 tackles, which is tied for fourth. In the Man, he's a vacuum, Mike. I was he surprised he didn't. Yeah, he's bad, ain't he? I was surprised he didn't even get it. He didn't He didn't get it. So it was a couple. And you could have made a case for Logan Ryan. But I definitely would have, would have liked to see Leonard Williams or Blake Martinez get in there this year before Evan Ingram. But uh, other than that, um, you know, at the end of the day, maybe this this will be a confidence builder for him to be around those guys to, to boost for next next season. And uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But all in all, I was pretty impressed with the Pro Bowlers. These guys have really uh, balled out and deserved it. Yeah, for sure. The guy that stood out to me is Tennessee's A.J. Brown. Yeah. I mean, Mike, look at the guy. He's a physical specimen. And and I start to – we're, we're going to ask our, our, our next guest about these things because it happens to be – the place that he's from, they breed these big, massive <laughs> specimen guys. But, uh, you know, A.J. Brown, what a career year. Uh, Tannehill's go-to man. Um, and obviously, it, it helps to have number 22, that Trojan horse, behind you. Um, because play action works to your advantage. But A.J. Brown, I mean, the guy, when he yards after catch, number one in the NFL. So when he caught it, he got extra yards. In, and then some of them he took to the house, Mike. And so I thought he was well-deserving of that um, uh, 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 nomination. But the guy that stood up to me, nobody's talking about is the Saints, um, Justin Hendrickson, 12 and a half sacks. Mm, Only okay. uh, TJ Watt has more at 13. Uh, he's tied with Aaron Donald. Anytime you're in the same breath as Aaron Donald, you know that you're doing something well. But he got snubbed in the NFC. We understand the NFC has some great pass rushers. We talk about the great Aaron, Don- Aaron Donald. You talk about the Eagles Fletcher Cox. You, you talk about some of uh, some of the other great guys like the Green Bay Packers, they're Smiths. But I, I thought Hendrickson, you know, 12 and a half sacks for the Saints team, the Saints defense, along with Cameron Jordan, who's also a, a pro bowler as well. Um, he, he, he was he was snubbed. I thought he was well deserving in, in, for that nomination. So that's the one key guy that 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 screamed. Pro Bowl to me that didn't get in, but everybody else was rightly deserving. Yeah, it's pretty solid. Every it's all it's always gonna be like that. Every year there's always gonna be somebody that balled out, but 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 didn't wasn't able to make them make them uh make the coin. So um that that's just that's just the way the cookie cookie crumbs will crumble sometimes. But um yeah, all these guys they they're definitely well deserved, and I'm I'm interested uh, to see the Pro Bowl this year. 
Yeah, the Pro Bowl this year. Officially not in my hometown anymore, Mike, <laughs> in Orlando. It will be inside Algiant Stadium where the Las Vegas Raiders uh, will play this season. Home of the Las Vegas Raiders, in fact. Um, that will take place of the 2021 Pro Bowl this season. But when we come back, our highly anticipated guest joins us. Did the committee get things right? We'll discuss the Sebi Podcast Radio Show live inside Studio Z. And we are back here on our second segment of the Sebi Podcast Radio Show, streaming in 15 different platforms worldwide. We have a very special guest with us today, Ole Miss's very own defensive lineman, Mr. Marquise Watson, on the hotline with us in on the Sebi Podcast Radio Show. How are you today, my man? It's a pleasure to have you with us. I'm, I'm thankful to be here, fellas, and I'm doing well. How about yourselves? Hey, doing great, man. Doing great always. Marquise is a it's great having you on the show, man. It's been a long time coming. No doubt. Uh, you know, I just wanted to, I just wanted, to, I wanted to start, I wanted to start at the start from the beginning, man. Just, just get the people get a feel for you as far as you know, just your journey as far as becoming a coach, man. Talk to me about where you, where you first got your love for football. Okay, so I grew up in New Jersey, you know, the best state in the world, <laughs> uh, and I, I grew up in East Orange, New Jersey, when I was first born. Then I moved to Newark, New Jersey, for a little bit then Irvington, and now I currently live in Hillside, New Jersey. Uh, my whole family played football. My cousins, my uncles, you know, my, my my grandmother was at the game cheering. My mom was in a band. My aunt was a cheerleader. You know, that thing. Uh, I went to two different high schools, St. Peter's Prep and Primus Catholic in New Jersey. I was recruited in high school. I small D1A schools and big D to go to Bryan University in Rhode Island. And for me, it, it was it was never a deal where I wanted to go to the league or anything like that. I always wanted to be a coach since I was younger. The coolest people in the world to me when I played Little League in East Orange was my pop one of coaches. You know, some was a drug dealer, some was gangbangers, some was cops. You know, it was weird that that dynamic came together to coach youth football. And then when I graduated college, I got my first opportunity to coach D3. And now I'm still living on my dream to this day. No doubt, man. No doubt. You, you right now you at Ole Miss. And uh, you know, I, I see I see you living out your dream, but but it took a lot, it took a long time to get here as far as you know the different roads you went going from right yeah, coaching at Bryant to 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 going to Rutgers and, and things of that nature. Like talk talk about the journey of as far as like how the coaching journey from after you graduated from Bryan in 2017, that three-year journey to get where you are right now. How, how was that? Absolutely. So, so my first year out of college, I went from playing Division One football to coaching Division Three at Amherst College in Amherst, Massachusetts, and it, it was it's tough. You know, people don't understand. People see coaches in the NFL or or coaches at Ole Miss. They see them on ESPN, see them on ABC, see them on CBS. 
see them make so much money when they get to the top. But when you're at the bottom, you, you really got to struggle. So when I was at the D3 school, right. I slept in the office probably every night of the year, just like other coaches have. You know, I, I don't I didn't know when or what my next check was going to be. I had to wear a role of many hats. And honestly, I tell people this all the time. That D3 experience for me was the best I've ever had. You know, it was limited resources. The kids was truly playing football for the love of the game. They wasn't on scholarship. Mm. They was there truly to get a good education. Then I went to Rutgers, uh, the home state. And when I was in Rutgers, I was a graduate assistant. A graduate assistant is somebody that gets their school paid for to get a master's to coach. That's hard also because you have schoolwork while having to do the regular duties of a coach. You know, and, and mm. we wasn't on wins like that when we first had got there. So that was a humbling experience. I came from winning all through my high school, winning all through college, even winning at the D3 level to losing a good amount of games. After Rutgers, I got hired as the D-line coach back at my alma mater at Bryant University. And we were solid. You know, it was weird coaching guys that I had played with. You know, and, and me being at that time last year, one of the youngest Division One coaches in the country, it, it was different. You know, you got coaches who are 32 with kids who still haven't got that break of getting a full-time job, you know, getting benefits and things like that. Then at the end of the season of Bryant in January 2020 of this year, I got the job at Ole Miss, and I came down as a graduate assistant. As of recently, I just got promoted to intern defensive line coach for the bowl game. So that's sort of been my experience, just a quick rundown of how I got to where I'm at right now. Yeah, man. Yeah, you, you said he's had a crazy journey, man. It's it's it's, uh, it's, it's been well worth. It, yes, bro. yes, indeed. I've heard many things about you, uh, uh, Marquise, and 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 how you're a leader of men on and off the field, and teaching some of these young guys um, uh, about that. It's more than life than just being on the turf or uh, being here and playing football um, in Oxford. And speaking of Oxford, we were talking about this in our last segment there. Um, you guys just have a way of finding these weird breeds from the wide receiver position. Whether that's, that's Evan Ingram to yeah. uh, DK Metcalf to AJ Brown, who's both our, our, our Pro Bowlers selections this season, and also Laquan Treadwell from a year ago. You guys you have these big, massive, mammoth wideouts, and, and they can run like deers. So mm -hmm. how, how do you guys breed them in Oxford? Like, what's What's different about wide receivers wanting to come to Ole Miss? I mean, I mean, first, since, since I've been here, you know, and we got – I got to give my man a shout-out. Elijah Moore, he's the best receiver in the country this year. He just declared for the draft. He should be another right. first-rounder from Ole Miss. But to, to truly tell you this, I, I really think that it, it's just the Oxford itself. It's, it's the style of play that we have. I'm talking about currently, and it's the style of play that coaches had before. You know, when you look at Ole Miss, Ole Miss will always have good receivers, good tight ends, and great D linemen. You look all across the NFL, mm -hmm. and it's proven to, to to hold true. But but to tell you about what they did before, before I mean, they was just running and gunning and throwing a ball. It was a point where that team had A.J. Brown on the left, D.K. Metcalf on the right, Evan Ingram at tight end, and this sometimes flexed out, and then Dawson Knox. Those are all yeah, good class. You know, that's why you look when Ole Miss was beating Alabama back-to-back -back years, it wasn't because they had scrubs, you know, they were just getting lucky. They had players that Bama wanted, and if not, was better than some of the players that was guarding on Alabama. 
So to, so to answer your question, man, of, of how we keep getting these Pro Bowl players, especially at receiver, you know, the 6'4", 230s that run a 4'4", now it's a credit to, to our strength coach, Wilson Love. And now, even more than anything, we're going to keep getting that because our head coach, Lane Kiffin. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, 100%. Lane Kiffin, uh, a great, and we're talking about just an offensive whisper uh, for sure. Those back-to-back years when they beat Bama, who was quarterback? Mr. Chad Kelly. Jim Kelly's uh, uh, nephew. That was great there uh, to hear from that. I want to talk about um, the college football playoffs. Obviously, a team that you guys know very well in the SEC West, Alabama, the the top team in the country. Um, it, you guys played them to a great thriller this year. Um, you guys were one of the teams. As a Gator fan, I was kind of hoping that you know we should we should go back to that Ole Miss tape and see what Ole Miss did and kind of mm-hmm. you know see if we can find a few things. Um, but uh, talk to me of, of how Alabama and, and all the rest of the teams that's participating in the college football playoffs, Clemson, Notre Dame, and also Ohio State. Do you, did you think the committee got it right? And, and are these four teams deserving of that spot? I, I, absolutely. I mean, as far as if the committee got it right, you know, it's, it's hard to say if they did or did not. I know for me, being in this conference, the SEC, there isn't a harder conference in the country than this conference. You know, mm-hmm. playing playing week in and week out against SEC teams, uh, having been in the Big Ten, and the Big Ten is a great conference. There's just something a little different about this conference. The players, the, the coaches, the scheme, the concepts, the mindset and mentality. Now, we didn't get to play Texas A&M, unfortunately, due to COVID, but, man, that team is good. Big O-line, big running back, you know, <laughs> powerful. Uh, if I was in a committee, I would have picked pit Texas A&M into the college playoffs just because their one loss was to the number one team in the country. Notre Dame's right. one loss was to the number two team in the country whose schedule is not as strong as Alabama. Right. And expanding on the teams, as far as who's going to win, I, I, I think it's going to be some great games. Uh, but but I got to go with the, the, the unfortunate rival from this conference. <laughs> but, but I got to go with Alabama. You know, they're coached well. They have playmakers. They have three potential Heisman candidate winners, and, and they have one of the greatest coaches in any sport of all time. Agreed. Agreed there for you. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, they're definitely. And you brought up a great point about Texas A&M, Keys, because it's like, yo, if they if they can dominate everybody else in their, in their, uh, on their schedule and their only loss comes to Alabama, if they can't get in this year, when is it a year they're ever going to be able to get that's in? Control. You know, situation like that. That's a, that. That's a great point. But I wonder. I want. I want to get. Uh, come back to you as far as you know your coaching, your coaching powers and stuff. You were named to the two hundred two four seven sports uh, top coaches, top thirty coaches under thirty yep. years old. That 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 was that's a remarkable feat in and of itself. But you know, like being as how how young you are, t- just to tell me your emotions when you found that out there. That you. I, were, I mean, it was a blessing. You know, it was a. It was more of a credit to all the coaches that I work for, you know, and, and you guys know, mm-hmm. you, you guys in a business where not all the time that the young guys get the love, you know, you got the guy who, who've been having a podcast for 30 years, who podcast might not even be even close to, to this podcast, but because he got some stake in the game, because he's been in the game for so long, you, you don't get as much love as he does. You know, it's the same way, just like it is in mm-hmm. other fields in coaching. You know, you got older coaches who've been around so long and they do deserve their respect because they put their time in. It's hard for the young coaches to, to get that recognition. It's hard for the, the real young coaches to even get respect and show how serious you you are. So it, it truly was a blessing, mm-hmm. and, and it was exciting. And honestly, that propelled my career even more. You know, got my name out there. 
uh, showed other people that that I am for real, and I'm here to stay. Yeah, no doubt, man. This 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 last game that you, this 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 tough loss that y'all had against LSU right here. Uh, you you have a you you have a huge you have a huge bowl win coming up on January bowl game coming up on January second against Indiana. Uh, uh, t- talk to me about Indiana, what you've seen in film so far, uh, and scouting them, which uh, what you've seen, and um, and just talk about the the, the matchup that they're going to be. Uh, no doubt. I game. mean, you said it right, bowl win. I hope we go down to Florida and we win the damn game. But uh, <laughs> they're good, man. They are really good. Uh, coach very well. Uh, the head coach Tom Allen has done a phenomenal job. From when I was in the Big Ten looking at Indiana to now, they are light years better. It's, it's, it's amazing to see what he's doing. The O-line plays hard. They got a huge running back, about 6'1", 6'2", 235, and they have two electric receivers. Like, when they're when I say these receivers can go up and go get it, number three and jersey number one, and their defense speaks yes. for itself. It's a reason why the D coordinator just got a head uh, college football job at South Alabama. Defense leads the country in turnovers. They get pressure. They create pressure. It's going to be a real hard game for us. We have to bring our bring our hard hats and get ready to play. I, I, I agree with that as well. We saw um, we had one of our uh, guests from Indiana, um, Alia, a few weeks ago, and and she, who covers the the Hoosiers, and um, they they made a guy that's actually going to be a top five pick this year in uh, the transfer out of Georgia. Yeah, um, the quarterback they they made him look pedestrian three ints, and so this is a great great football team that they're going up against uh, for sure. So that's that's going to be a great bowl game for you guys. What is the standard because? Obviously, the standard, you know, in Ole Miss is, is its titles is to win the division and stuff like that. But how important it is for for the guys that are entering the draft or who declared the draft and not playing in bowl games, but the ones that are playing in the bowl games to take this series? Because sometimes I feel that it outweighs it. Some of the guys, like you said, Elijah Moore getting ready and prepared for the draft. Um, talk to us about that. And as a coach, getting these guys prepared and focused to not take bowl games like absolutely, you know. When you, when you have the last game of the year and, and you got to go to a bowl game, it, it is truly, truly a, a big gap. You know, Christmas, seeing your family, it almost feels like it's, it's the start of the offseason. With, with us, it has been a very different and honestly difficult year. It's been one of the longest seasons in, in college football history due to COVID, due to what's going on in 2020, and due to so many things that was out of our kids' control. But our staff, our coaches, and our players have done a great job of, of being locked in and staying locked in. Now, with that, it is something that I'm honestly learning from Coach Kiffin that is totally different from other coaches. With, with, the, with the seriousness and the intense of playing an all-SC schedule, there is some, some, some fun that must be had. You know, there is some, some, all right, we've been serious all the time. Now we need to take time to just have a little fun. And Coach Kiffin has done that in many different ways to keep us excited, to keep us engaged. The kids got a little break. We practiced. They got a little break for Christmas to go see their family. And then they're going to come back. And then we're going to get geared up and go take care of the number 11 team in the country, hopefully. 100%. 100%. This is actually a a fun game that Mike and I like to do. We actually started it last week. uh, And Mike knows. Um, and instead of giving scenario like questions where we're, we're going to give you two, a question and we're going to say overrated and underrated. We like to do this with some of our guests just to get the uh, insights on 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 their personal life outside of of just football Absolutely. in general. Um, I'm, I'm going to give you a player 
and you're just going to rank them overrated or underrated, a guy that you guys faced uh, this season and you probably know as a defensive guy that you had your assignment you had to go up against. That's Alabama's Devontae Smith. Underrated. 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 Whatever he is, he is something special. So underrated. Oh, wow. Okay. You can go ahead, Mike. There's no question about, no question about that one, huh? I, I'll, I'll say this. Mm, I got a great one for you. Matt Corral. Hey, Matt Corral not only is underrated, but Matt Corral should be in New York at the Heisman Trophy presentation. And and people, people may think this is crazy because he's had two games where he's had multi-number picks. But I tell you this, without Matt Corral, we would have lost – much more than five games. Sebi, Sebi, this is a big play offense. The Ole Miss has been putting up big numbers offensively. If it wasn't for this LSU, this five interception game against LSU, you can make a, a strong case for. Agreed, agreed there for sure. Probably um, a guy that you talk about heading into New York. What about Florida Gators, Kyle Trask? <laughs> only reason, well, I, I'm gonna say he's overrated, is because. His weapons is out of control. Now, he's a great player, great player. But I think when you throw into Kyle Pitts, who is a modern-day Shannon oh. Sharp. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I, you know what's crazy? I don't think people know how good and how mammoth I, I this guy is. You don't realize how good he is till you're on the field and you're trying to triple team. And he's running He's running faster than the DBs, and he's blocking D-linemen. Um, right. Now, he's a great player, but but the college game hasn't seen anybody like Kyle Pitts since since maybe Gonzalez, you know, since maybe yeah. maybe Shannon Sharp. If he was at a one double A level, you know, since maybe Jimmy Graham. And he's, he's the and real they, They've also got Kendarius too as well. I feel you on that because it's not like it's not like you know we don't say Patrick Mahomes is overrated because of his weapons because we see how elite he is at his name and what he can do Absolutely. when it, when everything breaks down. It's like it's like it's like with Kyle Trash, you almost have to wonder like if you know everything breaks down and they rely on him to create a play and, and go off script. It's a little little sketchy on that one. So I see where you're coming from. Here's one, here's right, one on. that you got you probably know uh, uh, Marquise uh, uh, George's Kirby Smart. I think he's underrated, man. Uh, you know, to 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 the consistency he's had at, at Georgia, and Georgia was good. Georgia has is a national brand. Georgia is a powerful brand. But but I mean, what, what I think is the the telltale sign about Kirby Smart is the recruiting. Georgia's recruiting classes since Kirby has been there is going to be top five. You know, he's taking them recruiting wise to a level that they have never been to. You know, and I truly think he's underrated for what he's doing for the University of Georgia. Go ahead. Justin, Justin Fields. And the reason why I think he's underrated is mm-hmm. I think the gap uh, of him and Trevor Lawrence are, are closer than, than people think. You know, I've, I've heard people mention the, the BYU quarterback. I've heard people mention other names that should be taken ahead of him. Uh, honestly, I, I can't – I personally don't think that anybody – should pass up on Justin Fields after Trevor Lawrence if they have the chance to pick him. Okay. Interesting. You, I hear guys like uh, Lance uh, from South Dakota State and, and, and the one you mentioned and Zach Wilson as well. Why, why is that so? Why Why do you think Justin Fields is ahead? Oh, I, I just think you look at what he's done at Ohio State. He, he's, he's one interception away uh, from playing LSU last year and giving uh, – 
the LSU Tigers a great game. You know, he's he's very, very <laughs> fast, which he does not look that mm-hmm. fast, but he is very, very fast. He's an elite thrower, and he's honestly not just a game manager that has elite weapons on the side of him. You know, I, I think you can build a, a okay. franchise around him. And I don't know the Trey Lance guy, and I've just seen Zach Wilson on TV. Um, but but what Justin Field has done for Ohio State, you know, he's the first quarterback that I've seen in a long, long time that not only can he just take over a game with his arm, he can take over a game with his legs at that level. You know, there's been quarterbacks that has been at, yeah. a, at smaller levels, but not at the level he's been at. <laughs> Seems like you guys got your work cut out for you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What about um, what about Ian Book? <laughs> I don't. I, it, it's something about Notre Dame just as a whole. You know, the tradition of winning is so great. You know, they, they do so many things that is awesome. They recruit well. They get guys that play hard. Uh, they actually recruit where I'm from, New Jersey, really well. But uh, Ian Book just hasn't really, you know, impressed me. I don't. I don't think he's underrated or overrated. I think he's rated exactly where he's at. You know, because he, he don't. He Ray don't do anything that, great, or he don't do anything too bad. He came in young. And he's been playing since he has been young. It'll be interesting to see if they can do something and upset Bama this year. Right. It, 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 I think. I think college football's greatest game manager, like Alex Smith. That's that's what I compare him to. He's not going to lose you the game, but he's not going to win you the game. Um, right. This is probably funny, but I'm still going to ask, ask it. Um, Travis Etienne. Underrated. I mean, when you look at a guy that every year, year in and year out, leads the ACC in rushing or is top one or two, you know, he takes the bang and takes the hits. And whenever one of those quarterbacks from Clemson gets nicked up, get banged, you see right away who gets on the back of and the heels of and they ride him. I think he's underrated. He's one of the best backs in the country. He's one of the best backs in the Dabo Sweeney era. And I think he's going to be an elite pro. You know, he can catch out the backfield. He can block. He has separation speed, great vision. Uh, and he got a little swag to him. So I, I really think he's going to have a chance to, to be elite in the NFL. Mike, you know, Mike, you know who he reminds me of quickly before you get there? He reminds me of Alvin Kamara. I think he can – I, 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 he reminds okay. me a lot of Kamara because Kamara can do uh, – he's an all-purpose back, right? You, he can catch a, a punt return, kick returns. He, he, you, you line him up in the X and the Y off the backfield, he can catch the screen. Um, he's an excellent underrated blocker. And, of course, you know he can take it to the house. He reminds me a lot of Kamara. Great, great comparison. It's very smooth with his game as well as far as getting through the hole and things like yeah. that. Uh, what, I wanted to ask you about ETN. Does his fumble uh, – uh, does his fumbles this year – uh, if you're an NFL GM, does that hinder you from potentially picking him? The, in the reason first why I don't it don't hinder me is when I was a young man, Tiki Barber was one of the better backs in NFL. You know, and year in and year out, people would change the way he held the ball, and he had a bad fumbling problem. I, I truly believe that it could be fixed. You know, when you have somebody that's explosive and dynamic okay. that's been playing a position for a long time, teaching them the the hold the ball and create the ball. Can, can be fixed, I truly think. I think what he brings from a skill set uh, to the running back room, I think there's no way you could pass up on him if you have the chance to draft a running back. You like him on your board. Right. I, I'm, I'm going to give you a duo on this one. I'm going to ask you, how, how, how do you feel about this duo uh, in, in college football? 
Javante Williams and uh and and and, and, and uh Bay, uh, I forget his last name. Bay Baker, the running the running back. So in it's, it's ironic. One of, one of my friends that was committed to North Carolina, and then eventually went to the NFL. He's best friends with them. I don't know if Mac Brown what he got them eating and taking, but they are rolling. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm really excited to yeah. see them in this bowl. Man, you know when you got that one two punch like that on the defense side, it's so hard to stop. You know, we got that thunder and lightning right. combo, and then they're both. They have so many of uh, complete qualities in each other. That the, they have led and helped North Carolina. And North Carolina truly is back. Yeah, and Sam Howell, Sam Howell, Sam Howell can really oh, yeah. throw it as well. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Uh, as a Jersey guy, I know you grew up um, uh, from the Jersey area, um, and, and and we all know this. The the love that Jersey people and New Yorkers have. Uh, they've breeded a lot of basketball guys. Not sure if basketball was, was a part of your life as a young lad, but um, you, you had Stefan Marbury, you had Rod Strickland, you had some of these guys. To, um, talk to me about how basketball influenced you or, or do you even watch the pros? Yeah, so I, I actually love basketball. Uh, basketball is my first love. <laughs> you know, my body, my body <laughs> changed, <laughs> changed my, my, my love of basketball. But I played basketball. I was pretty good when I was younger. One of the better players in the state of New Jersey when I was, like, in middle school. As I grew up, uh, people that I was playing with got taller. You know, the people I was playing with got taller, and I didn't. Um, but, but honestly, I think, and I have it in recruiting. Whenever I'm recruiting a D lineman or, or, or somebody to come make our university and football team better, I love multi-sports athletes, especially if they play basketball, especially if they play uh, lacrosse or, or they run track. That's always good to see. But, but being from Jersey – you know, Jersey produces hockey players, football players, baseball players. But the thing about mm-hmm. Jersey, if you look around college basketball today, you look around the NBA today, it's so many guys. When you go on Wikipedia and you type in their name and you see they from Jersey, it's like, oh, he from Jersey too? Right. You know, he from Jersey too? Yeah. I, I just think the things that yeah. New Jersey does, because it's so small, um, because of the athletes like you mentioned before, the, the Jersey, the Tri-State area as a whole, just produces so many great athletes that I think you'll be wrong to to not interact with a kid that, that plays basketball and football. So, so, so right. are you a Nick or are, are you a Net? You got to I mean, be one of the other. I'm a Dallas Maverick, <laughs> which is totally opposite. Oh, okay. When I just when I was young, I used to love a player by the name of Michael Finley. I thought he was a great, great shooter. Of course, uh, of course. Down defender, okay. you know, shut your mouth and just do your job type guy. And then I, I like Dirk, and I just like the Mavs organization as a whole. Yeah, oh, that's dope. I, I'm glad we brought it back to Jersey because I, 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 I do got a quick question. Um, before we let you go, you played at Paramus Catholic with Jabril Peppers, in in high in high school. You see where you see where he's grown and transgressed from from you know from college in Michigan <laughs> to where he is now uh, with the New York Giants. Talk to me about your time playing with with, with Jabril Peppers and how how electric he was. Well, well, as people a high don't know is, so we didn't play for the same youth team, but we both played any staunch. And my family uh, knew Jabril. Uh, my brother knew his brother. Uh, God rest his soul. His brother passed away, but I mean, he was electric <laughs> and he was young. He was fastest. He was the toughest. Yeah. Uh, then when we joined forces and played together in high school. He was the best player, man. It was nobody better than him. I tell people all the time, he was the only player still to this day that I've seen 
if if a team lined up two receivers to the to one side of the field, he was able to guard both of them. Because if they threw the out route, he would drive the out route and knock the dude out. <laughs> That's and unbelievable. If they threw a deep ball, <laughs> That's unbelievable. He would run the deep ball down. So we literally had defensive calls where he would what we call it midpoint. He would get off the ball like seven eight yards. And if both of them were vertical, he would carry them. If, if one went on an out, he would still keep carrying it. And then when the ball was thrown, he would break on it and knock the dude out. Like to this day, I still have not seen nobody do that. That's just how explosive and dynamic he is and still is to this day. It's good to see his career is, is starting to pick up and get back to where he used to be. I think getting a new coach, coming back home, getting some new legs under him is really helping. But as far as playing with him, there wasn't anybody ever better than him. Agree. Harold, I agree. Yeah. Mad Def, man. Look, Keith, man. This is, all, this is all love right here. I appreciate you coming on the show. You know what? You know how it is. We family. And uh, good luck to you in that bowl game. Absolutely, fellas. You Thank you, man. Coach, this man. is a great podcast. I'm, I'm excited about the future of this podcast and future of you, too. Thanks for having me, man. Y'all have a good one and happy holidays. Real pleasure to have you. Pleasure to have you. Always welcome to come back. And we are back here on our third and final segment, Mike. Uh, one of one of our best guesses yet. I mean, the, the man is, is is incredible. A pleasure to have you on. A great call on that one, Mike. No, nah, no, no doubt, man. No doubt. Um, it was, it was just, it was dope having him on. You know, he's he's really like family, and uh, I, I treat him as such. And uh, I'm just, I'm happy to see where he is. He's a good brother, and uh, it's just, it was just dope having him on for sure. Yes, best of luck to Ole Miss as they take on Indiana and Tampa in a few weeks' time. Mike, we can't leave, of course, today's show without talking about the NBA, our third and final segment. Opening night, theoretically, was on Tuesday night, uh, Battle of L.A., of, and, of course, the uh, Durant against his former team and the Warriors. We saw the Nets put on a show, Mike. I, I think they're going to be an absolute problem for any Eastern Conference opponent. But the Clippers uh, took, took charge. I think Paul George stepped up. And and I've got my eyes on him this year, Mike, because uh, throughout COVID, he's a guy that deals with a lot of anxiety and depression and is very public about that. And he spoke about um, how it was to um, get his sanity back, being able to uh, seek help, being able to do the little things in life uh, to get his mind focused back on the things that matter, as in basketball, um, as in terms of his family and things of that nature. And he just showed out, Mike. And um, those that to me tells me that not only Ty Lu, who we know as a former player, it, he can relate with these guys, you know, being able to um, not only talk to Paul George as as a uh, as a coach and as a player, but also take some time off in the hardwood and and get to know what's going on in his personal life. But uh, he put on a show in Staples Center, and for all the noise, I think people are starting to kind of root out the Clippers as as a team that can potentially make a, a deep run this season, Mike. For the disappointment they made last week, I think um, I think that may fuel them this year. So I've got my eyes on the Clippers. 
Seven, you couldn't have said it any better. You know, all this noise of, you know, people kept riding the fact that they blew a 3-1 lead and just ruled, like you said, ruling them out of the Western Conference and ruling them out as a potential threat to knock off the defending champion Lakers. They're not, they're not, they're not a potential threat. They are a threat. They're one of the top threats to the Lakers because of how they match up with them. And they just show once again how no matter what the situation is with other teams, when these two, when they match up against the Lakers and they go against go against Anthony Davis and LeBron James, they're ready to go full out and all their players step up and they show it. And this is another situation of, you know, you, you have an upgrade, in my opinion, with Serge Ibaka uh, uh, over Montrez Harrell because not only can Serge Ibaka play defense, but he can also, from the perimeter, he can spread the floor. He can spread the floor for you, uh, for, for your opposing defense as well. And uh, he, he can just make life tough for you, um, for you on um, – for opponents because of how he's he does in the mid-range and three-point shooting and stuff like that. So this this and uh, the addition of Luke Kennard is, is special too, a 3 and D guy, uh, Nicholas Batum coming to this team. They have some additions on this team along with adding uh, Tyron Lue as the head coach that can really make this team formidable. The, um, the, the Los Angeles Clippers, like you said, motivated off last year. Paul George mm-hmm. having a great year. He's motivated. He's gonna. They're gonna have a great year this year, and I expect them to be right in the hunt, right in the conversation. Agreed there. And one thing about the Clippers too, although they, you know, squandered that three-one lead against the Denver Nuggets, they've shown that they've can. They've had success in the regular season against the Lakers. Um, oh, yeah. wins last week and last year, and already won again here in opening night. So they've shown success that they have the capability of uh, being the Los Angeles. Lakers, who are the defending champs, there for sure. Let's talk about the events that occurred in Brooklyn, Mike. I think, uh, as I mentioned in my initial preamble, Kevin Durant, he, he, I couldn't tell a difference <laughs> pre Achilles <laughs> or post Achilles, but uh, uh, the man is, uh, is, is just one of the top, I say, top 20 players I've ever seen. Uh, that's that's just me. Uh, he is just one of the top 20 players I've ever seen, Mike. It looks like he hasn't skipped the beat, but. What I found interesting is I, I like what Steve Nash has done because of the success that Karis LeVert had in the bubble. You know, he brings him off the bench and he's saying, you can be our sixth man and you can be the leader of that unit and, and, and bringing Dinwiddie as a starter. So that way there's no conflictions or any problems with ball, like who's, who's shooting or who's going here. And then the ball movement that he's implementing, that seven-second offense that they ran in Phoenix with him and Amari. I, I, I like the the trajectory that the Nets are doing. And I think that a lot of people are saying it's Kyrie and KD, but you've got Joe Harris who only shot 43% from three last year. You've got Karis LeVert, who's a, who's a huge candidate for six man of the year. Spencer Dinwiddie is good. DeAndre Jordan is an elite shot blocker with J- uh, Jared Allen. I, the Brooklyn Nets might, they have all the recipe to, to do some special things this year. They do. They have. They have depth. There. I'm glad you brought it. They have front line depth. They have guard depth. They have depth all. Uh, uh, they have depth all over this team, and uh, you're seeing it come together uh, because there's so much scoring. There's so many bucket getters on this team. This seven seconds or less offense is going to work potently well for them. You got. You have the addition of a Landry Shaman, who's a great three and D guy. Right. Green, who's Jeff Green, who's another great three and D guy. These there's different guys on any given night that can go off, and they saw how lethal Karis LeVert was last season when all the other uh, top players were hurt, and they saw how he was able to score efficiently and score very well um, as being 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 the lead guy. Well, they said, well, it's going to be hard for you to be the lead guy and really get the shots that you want 
uh, in the starting lineup because of Katie and Kyrie being there. So what we're going to do is we're going to put you on the bench where you're the top guy coming off the bench, and you're going to give the most shots coming off the bench, and you're going to be one of the highest scorers off the bench this season. You know, similar to what the Los Angeles Clippers and Doc Rivers did with Lou Williams a couple of years ago when he won the reward. But this this Karis LeVert uh, squad, did, did this this team with how Karis LeVert's playing, with Katie and Kyrie, of course, uh, putting on the show and doing what they do, uh, Kyrie is playing as free as as we've seen him, right? Because of not having to worry about all the other things, you having the Kevin Durant on your team, and having the other players that are able to to stifle everything else. He's able to go out there, play his game, and do his thing. And they say he's he's been he's been uh, very much so one of the big time leaders in that locker room so far. So just everything coming together, the vibe and the aura of this team with the coaching staff and everything. This just looks perfect for Brooklyn, and they're going to be in the mix. I'm not going. I'm not saying this an outright conclusion that they're going to win. Uh, the Eastern Conference because there's still a lot of games to be played. There's still a lot of um, um, there's still a lot of film that needs to be uh, dissected on this team and and things like that. But they're going to be in the mix. They're going to be in the conversation. It's going to come down to how their superstars play when it needs most and stuff like that. But right now, so far, we're seeing uh, they look like a show, Sebi. I mean, get your popcorn ready every time Brooklyn plays. This is an absolute show. Yeah, they do. And I want to piggyback on that. And this is what Brooklyn signed up for. They they want Showtime in New York. New York is the largest market in America and one of the largest markets in the world, in fact. This is what they set up for. Yeah. And one thing that's interesting to me, Mike, is the nickname 7-Eleven, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the gas station, their uh, <laughs> slogan is it, they're always open. Meaning that Kyrie and Katie is saying they're always open. And what I find interesting is, is 7 you know, it's 7-Eleven, meaning that Kyrie is the second number, right? And and not the first number. We've seen in the past where where he's the second fiddle or one a or the one B to the best player. Uh, I mean, th- that's where Kyrie's at his best. Obviously, we saw that with LeBron James winning that title in 2016. So when he's not the guy that the media has to attack as the superstar, when, uh, when things are going good or even things are going bad on the team as the leader. He's not getting all that. I think Kyrie, he's back home. Again, much like Paul George, he's he's at ease. Yeah. He's in very good spirit. His sanity is back, and he wants to be in Brooklyn. I think that is another element as well with uh, Kyrie Irving. And you can go back in history of basketball. The, the, the best second fiddle guys in championship teams, maybe Scottie Pippen. You talk about um, maybe, uh, I don't know, you talk about, Dennis Johnson with Kobe Bird or Kevin McHale. You, I mean, Kyrie Irving is in that same conversation as one of the second best fiddle guys uh, to a great superstar that the league's ever seen. I think this is going to bode well for the Nets as well. It definitely is. And I'm glad you brought that up because this Brooklyn team, you can tell the chemistry is so well early. You can tell yeah. that that was those Kevin Durant and Kyrie not playing in the bubble, but especially Kevin Durant, you could tell it really helped him. In his rehab, in his re- his rehab process, because that extra six months of you not playing any ball, uh, a ball, but just able to work on your game and work and sharpen yourself mentally to this team, helped out a lot. Because you could tell that they've been working, uh, in the off season with this team. They've been, he's been healthy for some time, but you can tell that they've they've been working on the chemistry. They've been uh they they they've been making sure that um that they're a more cohesive unit and they come together as one. And you see it early on. I did, I did not expect this team to look this cohesive and look this sharp early on in the season. You know, I, I know it's still early. And we, we, I still want to see when this team goes through adversity and how they respond and how they they still come together and still look like this this close-knit group. 
and I want to see uh see what happens when adversity strikes. But right now, so far, everything's all good. You got Kyrie uh putting the good energy in the air, burning sage in Boston Arena. You know, for those guys and talk about he's actually he actually did that every game. It just got hyped up in the media when he did it against Boston. But he actually, he's actually done that every game and plans on doing it in every arena that allows him to. But just that energy right there of that, and then you have Kevin Durant who is not getting too big. He's taking the game by game. You have hungry young guys who who don't have huge egos off your bench and carry stuff. This is just a great a great mix, a great bunch. You got Mike D'Antoni on that coaching staff, Steve Nash. It's just it's Stoudemire, Emil Udoka. It's, it's, a, it's a great bunch right now. It's a great form. Sean Marks should be impressed with himself and what he's built over the last few years because Brooklyn is here and they're 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 they're, they're here for blood. Yeah, and they're they're yes, my Mike. They're 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 ready to strike venom, Mike. And and you talk about the coaching staff as well. It's funny we're talking about this in one game in. How we're giving all this praise and this galore to Steve Nash, but you look at his staff. You got Mike D'Antoni from his staff back in Phoenix, who is his head coach when he was a player. He's got Jacques Vaughn, who's actually not only a brother, Mike, which we're happy about, but the highest paid assistant coach in the NBA. So you you look at all the surrounding pieces that aren't players on this team. And and you just think that this is a team that's going to be extremely formidable. Talking about formidable, the two other teams in the East that are gunning for the Brooklyn Nets this season, and they squared off against each other <laughs> last night. You talked about the Bucks and the Celtics, my beloved Boston Celtics, Mike. Oh, you know, you know, Mike. You know, I gotta, I gotta, I, I gotta. When 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 my when my Celtics play, you know, there's a certain aura that changes about me. <laughs> you know, so let's talk about last night, Mike. Let's um, do. What a debut! First off, uh, from Drew Holiday. Um, Drew Holiday, I think, is a, a huge upgrade from Bledsoe. And, and Bledsoe is a fantastic player. But uh, what you get on both ends of the floor from Drew Holiday, and I think he's an underrated leader as well, um, he's a guy that he's going to make an immediate impact. And we saw that last night right from, right from the tip. But what concerns you, Mike, is the problems, the problems that happened in the bubble that we lost to the Heat for. The blowing big leads, being yeah. up 17 in the fourth. And then, you know, when you're the back-to-back league MVP, you're going to make a run. So Giannis did his thing, but you can't blow leads like that. And I, I think in a full season like this where, you, you know, the, the, the Nets are coming, the Sixers are vastly improved, but the Bucks aren't going nowhere. They added key pieces in addition. So I think the Celtics really need to get their act together on, on blowing leads, but um Tatum how special was he and and Jalen Brown was even more special Mike last night 30 yeah. points um I think he is going to be a leading candidate for um all first team this year the guy is just special he not only he can give you 25 to 30 a night but also he guards your opposing best player whether he's a wing or whether he's a perimeter defender um I think they showed out tonight uh, but Giannis like I said Mike I think I, I would take Giannis the first 46 minutes of the ball game, but in those last two minutes, the guy can't make free throws and the guy has a deficiency shooting mid-range and um, above the arc. Those last two minutes is what worries GMs of how great he can be. So that all was all on display last night. Yeah, you saw it all there. My, my biggest, the biggest, I had a lot of takeaways, but the biggest takeaway I had from that game last night, and I said this last year as well, I have to see these two teams play in the playoffs against each other. 
It has to happen. It's must-see <laughs> TV. I'm guaranteeing it's going seven games. It has to happen because when these two teams match up in the regular season over the last few years, it's just something about the matchup that brings the best out of all their superstars. Right. I mean, everybody rises up and plays up, up the snub. It feels like every game goes down to the wire. It comes down to either overtime or some game-winning shot being made. And uh, it's, it was just amazing. Like you said, Jalen Brown had a great game yesterday. He was much more efficient. Jason Tatum had a great finish. I, I wouldn't say he had a total great game because he wasn't as efficient. And he, he said it after the game. Right. I, I shot terrible from the field. You know, he shot 12 for 28 overall. But he made, he hit the one shot that mattered most at the end, the bank shot to win the game. But um, he, and he'll he get more efficient. And it, this is one of those games. You know, it's not it's not a huge deal for somebody as, as talented and as skilled as him. Because he'll, he'll find a way to get He'll make it right. But um, that wasn't his most efficient game yesterday. But you're right. The other pieces around him. Uh, what makes it better? You got Jeff Teague and guys like that. Mike also. Jeff Teague has been a revolution. Yeah. What a, what yeah. a come up party, Mike. Yeah. yeah, Jeff Teague, Jeff Teague. He making plays, man. He was knocking down mid range jumpers. Uh, just getting being a nice floor general when needed to. I mean, he he just gave a nice spark. He gave a nice spark to that team. And I'll tell you another player on this Boston team was really ascended over the years and really is coming into his own. Semi Ojale. Yeah. Semi Ojale defensively is very has always been special, but knocked down three point shooter. His three point shot has gotten better year after year. And uh, I, I'm just seeing his evolution as a player. He can move without the basketball. This Boston team, especially the addition of Tristan Thompson, this this team, this Boston team is nice. And I'm glad. And Sammy, it's funny you bring it up because for Milwaukee, if you would have told me coming into this game, Giannis would have 35 points, uh, Drew Holiday would have 25, and Chris Middleton would have 27 and almost a triple, 27, 11, and 8, almost a triple double. I would say they, they have a great chance of winning. They should win this game. Yeah, yeah I would they, say it'd be a blowout, Mike. <laughs> almost, it would better. almost be a blowout. You're right. Exactly. <laughs> we know the numbers, but the others just didn't show up. Brooke Lopez was hit and miss. He, he was very off in, in this game. And it was just, the others just didn't do it, do enough for them to, to squeak out a win. But it was a great comeback. Giannis brought him all the way back. But like you said, he didn't make the crucial free throw when he needed most. You yeah. have to make that free throw to tie the game. If you're the two-time two back-to-back MVP, you have to put that game in overtime. I'm not giving him – going to scrutinize him as much because he brought him all the way he, – he was one of the main catalysts for bringing him all the way back from that deficit. But you have to make that free throw at the end. You have to close that deal and give yourself a chance to overtime if you're the two-time MVP. But it was a great game. I would love to see those two teams go against each other in the playoffs. And, uh, man, oh, man, I mean, that's – there's something, there's something about that Celtics Bucks, Sebi. You know all about it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, 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 look, come on. Like, it dates back to Kareem, Kareem and Oscar going against Bird. And, I mean, there's this history behind that. I mean, that has just been Michael Red, a guy that a lot of people ever forget. Michael Red and Ray Allen going up against, um, you talk about Paul Pierce and those guys. It's just, mm-hmm. it dates back to history uh, between those two teams. Um, but I want to talk about the Bucks. I like some key pieces they made, Mike. They they wanted to surround Giannis with shooters. Uh, Brian Forbes from the um, the San Antonio Spurs. You bring in DJ Augustine from the Orlando Magic. Um, Drew Holiday is the biggest acquisition, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. They brought in Torian Craig, another wing defender uh, from the Denver Nuggets. I thought that was very underrated. But it, 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 is it enough for Milwaukee? That's the thing. I think that... It, the trio of Holiday and, you know, Giannis and Middleton, they're going to be in the mix. I expect them to be a top three team in the East. But the thing is, is come postseason time, this is where we start evaluating and grading this Bucks team. We know what they are in the regular season. But is it enough, Mike? And that's, again, this season, what is set to be determined. Yeah, every, every year is going to be that way, especially when 
especially when they continuously dominate in the regular season, every year is going to be judged like that because it's almost like fool's gold. We've seen the story over and over again. The last two years, we've seen the same story. Dominant regular season, two-time MVP as your best player, and um, then in the postseason, it just it doesn't pan out, and you don't look as dominant as you as you as you did. Even even the first round matchup last year in the bubble against Orlando, they didn't look as dominant as you you would have thought they would have came out right. um, against a very informidable team. Orlando gave them some going in a few of those games, but then then you saw what happened against Miami on the verge of getting swept. But um, it, it, that's going to be the mantra for this team every season until they write the rewrite the narrative in the postseason about what they can do and potentially get to the finals. They have to get to the finals to really get to it to really change rewrite the narrative. If they don't get to the finals. It, it, all is for now. Yeah, agreed. They're still looking for that first uh, finals appearance in 74. Last night, Pat Connington and, and, and Z Vincenzo, they looked shooting the lights out, Mike. They were trying to kill my soul. Thank goodness we squeaked that one out. <laughs> that was, uh, I don't know where those guys were shooting like that. Um, the Wizards, um, uh, uh, your your hometown, their team, the media, I, I see going into the playoffs this season. Russell Westbrook, we know what you're going to get from him. You're going to get full energy, full throttle. He reminds me of the Energizer Bunny. You see how he bangs that drum all the time? He keeps on going and going and going. That's the, he, that is the epitome of what Russell Westbrook is. He brought that energy last night into Philadelphia, although they lost. Um, but that gives me hope that this Wizards team can really make some noise in the East, um, obviously. And then Trey Young, of course, he took his talents to Chicago, Mike. I mean, the, the man went to Chirac and just, I mean, <laughs> Trey Young, there's no defense, Mike, for guys that can easily pull up from the logo sign, the Lillards, the Stephs of the world. And I would put him in that equation as well. They put on a show. Two teams that I think will make the playoffs this year that impressed me in opening night. Yeah, definitely, man. I was impressed. I was actually, even though we, even though the Wizards lost against the Philadelphia 76, excuse me, I was actually very impressed. I was very impressed with how we looked. Um, we're still working out the kinks and getting up working on our chemistry. You know, with Westbrook, Westbrook had a, um, another triple-double. He was the first Washington Wizards player in franchise history to have a triple-double in his team debut. And um, so that, that, that was impressive. But, um, you know, I, I'm looking forward to him being more efficient shooting the ball. Making better decisions in the, in, the, in the fourth quarter when um, when the game gets tight, I'm, I'm looking I'm looking forward to that as the next step in his progression as a Washington Wizard because I know what I'm going to get from Bradley Bill. You know he was thirty he had thirty one points last night on eleven or twenty two shooting. Um, so had a couple ill-advised turnovers in the fourth quarter that really shaped this game, and um, I, I, I'm just looking forward to seeing this Wizards team sharpen up some things as far as the fourth quarter defense, um, uh, making sure they don't turn the ball over, keep keep it at, keep it at bay. And everything else will be fine for this team. But, but yeah, you're right. The Wizards and the Hawks, I'm glad you brought them up. Because Trey Young put on the show. Uh, they, they showed they showed something defensively. I know, albeit against the Bulls, they showed something defensively uh, yesterday that really impressed me, that really um, rose my eyebrows about this team, that uh, if, if they can play defense at a sharp level, they can be a very scary team in the Eastern Conference. And the, the right, Wizards and Hawks, two teams I expect to see in the playoffs as well. Agreed. Let's shift gears to the Western Conference. Luca versus Devin Booker. Um, obviously, it didn't disappoint. Uh, Chris Paul's son's <laughs> debut um, out there in Talking Stick Arena out there in Phoenix. Um, and, and you talk about defense, Mike. That's what I saw from the the the, the Suns. When you think about Phoenix, you, dating back to the Dan Tony days, you don't think about defense. You think about a very extreme potent offense that's just going to come at you in different ways and different waves that you're just going to have to try to dodge. But 
um, they've 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 brought guys that have identity on defense. We know we know Chris Paul is an all defensive performer. We we know what Crowder brings to the equation. But one of the guys that doesn't get a lot of love is my second year guy from uh, West Virginia. I can't remember his name. Javon Carter. That's his yes. name. Um, who yes. brings that edge on, on the defensive end? Cameron Payne uh, competes, and now I see. All of a sudden, Aiton, who's known for offense, and Booker, who's known for offense, starting to buy into Monty Williams' uh, uh, defense when they're starting to compete. So I, I don't remember the last time the Suns held anybody to 102 points. <laughs> Although Luka got 32, but those were some hard-earned 32. So if the Suns can play defense, because I do think they're going to be able to score with the best of them, I think that should be enough for them to punch their ticket as a playoff spot. No, definitely, rightfully so. And this team is going to continually get better. You're seeing a culture change in Phoenix right now. Uh, you know, you got Chris Paul there, guys like that. Uh, last last night wasn't even the, one of their overall best performances that they could be. They could be much better than they were last night. DeAndre Ayton early on offense. We talk about his defense, but offensively he struggled early on because he he caught himself in foul trouble, and he was it was hard for him to get a rhythm offensively or stay in the game. But I don't anticipate that to be a a, a regular on, on any given night. So. This Phoenix team, even what you saw last night, expect them to get even better than that because this is a special ball club, and they they bought into each other. They have, there's a group of players that want to play with each other, that have fun playing with each other, and that just makes the the work environment that much better. And you'll see you'll see the product on the field be on, on excuse me on the court be that much better as well. Agreed. The newest addition, I believe, this year for the Western Conference will be the Pelicans. The Pelicans, they did something very impressive, Mike. It, it, you don't just beat the Toronto Raptors by by chance, you know. Uh, yeah. Obviously, Zion Williamson, 15 and 10, he's going to be a double-double machine for years to come, Mike. But I, I love what they surrounded him by in Stan Van Gundy. You've got a great mesh of youth and veterans. You brought in George Hill. You brought in uh, Eric Bledsoe from that trade to get uh, Drew Holiday over there in Milwaukee. And then you brought mm-hmm. Steven Adams, another vet, um, to pair up with Zion Williamson out in the paint in Jackson Hayes. And then, of course, now Lonzo Ball, he's learning to shoot from the JJ Reggett, another great veteran. So I-, I like the makeup of this team, and I think they're they're going to get them to the playoffs. Uh, that, that's my prediction here. I think the Pelicans will make the playoffs in year two of – the Zion Williamson era. Yeah, I see them making the playoffs as well. And you, you, I, I just envision with all this young talent on this team and the, and the proper veteran leadership that's needed and the combination of Stan Van Gundy as your head coach, I mean, man, you, you just it's, – it's, it's a recipe for success. And I see already what they're trying to do. You know, you got, you got Lonzo Ball, who, who's going to ascend this year. Brandon Ingram's going to take that next step. But you have guys like, you know, that veteran pieces I was, I was talking about, like J.J. Reddick, who, who showed last night why he's still one of the greatest shooters the least league has ever seen. Right. And when 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 you have that combination of guys who at on any given any given night can can get you buckets and can get you can put the ball in the hole at a consistent rate and get hot for you. I mean that just bodes well for your success. And you have selfless players on this team that that, that know how to spread the ball around and know how to get guys going that want to see each other get going and know that that's that better improves this team and it's it's a special ball club and with the front line, front line depth that they have with Adams and Hayes and guys like that, and along with the guard play that they're ascending in the B, this is going to be a special ball club as well. Agreed, agreed, man. They, they, they're the upstart Pelicans, man. I think the not only for this year but years to come, the Western Conference must look out 
uh, because the the growth of this team, even guys like Josh Hart, we haven't even mentioned, and Brandon Ingram. I mean, the the, the sky is the limit for this team. Um, and, and lastly, here before we close, Mike, uh, the Jazz, the Jazz. I I think Quinn Snyder, who I'm an excellent coach, I've been raving about him for years. It's time that the Jazz turn to the Gobert and the Jonathan Mitchell regime. Yes. It, it, that's the new age Stockton and Malone in Utah now. Both guys got paid. Rudy Gobert, Mike, well-deserving. The highest paid big man contract in NBA history. And you can even think about that. You think about Olajuwon, Shaquem, uh, Shaq. You think about um, Charles Barkley, all the greats. And it's Gobert who has the biggest one, which is actually uh, crazy to think about. And then Donovan Mitchell, who signed his rookie extension. Um, what I saw last night in Portland is a team that is going to be stingy on defense, and then they have guys in the fourth quarter that can just put the ball in the hand. I mean, we, we've known for years, Jordan Clarkson is a bucket. Donovan Mitchell is one of the uh, young and more s- supreme talents that you can just put the ball in his hands in the fourth quarter, and he can either create a shot for himself or other teammates. I'm going to say this, Mike, and it, it might shock you. I think the Jazz are going to give not only the Clippers some problems, but I, I think he, they can give the Lakers some problems. I, I'm really high on this team. And then they showed up last night and they, I mean, they stifled Damian Lilly. Yeah, no, I'm not surprised at all. And I, I, I'm not surprised at all that you make that statement because that statement reigns true about the Jazz over the last few years. We're just seeing another year of their progression, another year of their maturity to come together and, and get to it. One of the biggest keys in, um, and success when it comes to a team success is continuity and understanding each other. And the fact that, you know, we see that Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert were able to come to an agreement and it's just, they, 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 they're the future of this team. And now that that's out the way, and now that that, that uh, elephant in the room is taken care of, we know that we can move forward with these two guys we can build around these two guys. And it's going to, it's going to happen because this team or the way they're coached by Quinn Snyder, this, the, the way this team is set up, they they have all the ingredients to make a huge run in the Western Conference. All the ingredients because they have big, they have the guard play, and really it's just it's just another year. It's an it's another year to get better, another year to learn from your yeah. from what happened last year. Donovan Mitchell was one of the best scorers and one of the most proficient players in the bubble, especially in the playoffs last year, and he gets an opportunity to capitalize off that coming into this season and build off that confidence and he's going to take his game to another level. And uh, it's just, it's another year for him to get better. It's another year for them to get right. And depending on the, the situations that come about and the matchups that they would potentially have to play in the playoffs, you never know with this team, if they can get that matchup with the Clippers or that matchup with the Lakers that, that they've been wanting to get for the last few years. It's a, it's, it's all about another year and another year and opportunity to get to it. And they have the horses and the pieces to get to, 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 to make a run. The Clippers and the Jazz have one thing in common, the squandering 3-1 leads against the Nuggets. Uh, and I, I think that's another key thing, Mike, that might also fuel this team uh, to make amends of what happened last year. And also Bogdanovich, right? A 20-point score last year. Yes. He got hurt. He wasn't a member of the team when they went down to the Orlando bubble. I think now to the pair up with him outside and, and all the attention that maybe Gobert and, and Mitchell will have on that pick and roll just makes it even more of a volume uh, a shooter like him uh, to be even deadly. So um, I, I like the makeup of this Jazz team uh, moving on forward. I think that pretty much wraps it up for us, Mike. Any last uh, uh, last comments or, or, or requests? 
Yes, for the for the for the good brother, I have to do this. Um, I, even though they lost by double digits yesterday, they fought hard and played well. I got to give a shout out to the New York Knicks. R.J. Barrett put on a show, especially in the first half. 20, 20 straight, twenty points in the first half. Went eight for eight, three threes. Didn't miss a shot. I mean, uh, even though they lost, uh, the future of New York Knicks basketball is on the rise, and you can see it coming with what Leon Rose is doing. You, you just you see the progression of this team, and in the near future, in a couple of years, don't be surprised if the Knicks. The, yes, I said it, I said it. The New York Knicks are going <laughs> to be one of the teams. To, to be reckoned with in the Easter Conference. That was Mike's closing arguments, folks. And it's been a great and special one with us. Tune in with us next week as we have another special guest with us. The Sebi Podcast Radio Show. We're saying so long for now. Hey, everyone. We're excited just as much as you guys tonight if you enjoyed this show. And frankly, even some of our other episodes as well. If you want to show your appreciation for the show, ensure that you leave us a rating and a review in our iTunes and Spotify. And remember, you can stay locked in here and connected. SebiPodcast.info link for the latest news, articles, interviews, and much more. And remember, wherever you're listening on air or online, the Sebi Podcast is wherever you go.